0: The following podcast contains mature language and adult discussion. This week on Kayfabe, stories you're not supposed to hear. The CBD craze. I have embraced it. Am I, am I foolish? Is this snake oil? Am I a pussy because I won't commit to to the, to the whole deal?
1: That doesn't make you a pussy. That's not to say that you're not one, but it might be from, you know, another... Other, another stu-
0: other stuff, right?
1: Yeah. yeah, we'll get into that later.
0: All right, this marks your return. I left the light on for you. Come in. I, I've, I've uh, the uh, the pillows are fluffed. The ice is cold. The drink is ready for you. I've taken great care in preparing for your return. I don't do mu- I don't do many things with great care. I got to tell you. This age, kids. Dog, impossible schedule, books, movies, stuff. There's, there's not a lot of time to do things carefully. You know what? I, I got to strike that I did. I had a job in college and out of college for a few years that did require great care. I worked for a negative cutter in Manhattan. We cut feature films. Now, those of you that don't know, Every film that's shot, every roll of film in a camera when they were shooting film, video is whatever, just digital. But if you're shooting film, then there's a negative. Just like the old days when you used to have to go develop the pictures you took in the camera, and they'd put a little strip of negative in there. If you wanted to get more prints, more uh, photos, they would strike it off that negative. Well, movie cameras are exactly the same, so what is passing through the camera in that giant magazine clip to the top is negative is is film and it's processed and turned into a negative. Now from that negative positive prints will be struck and made, but, it's got to be edited first. So what happens is off that negative, they strike what's called a work print. And that's what an editor used to before digital used to sit there and mark up and chop and splice and put together on the guillotine. Now, beside each frame are numbers. So somebody's got to go take every single edit, every cut, hundreds of cuts, thousands in some movies. That the editor has made on the work print positive. Positive and pull those exact shots on the negative and glue together all of the... When it's decided that that's final, glue together all of the editor's decisions. It's a ton of film that gets shot for films and very little used. So you'd have to go onto the negative and pull exactly those numbers. Frame 261133 through one, one, 261127 get spliced to frame 10213 oh, through frame 195 you know what i mean it's it's just it's it's arduous it, that, think of that task and by the way let this not be lost on anyone there is one negative that comes out of the camera and we handled it so it would come to us and we'd store it all we'd mark all the numbers down and and break the large reels down into smaller reels, waiting for um, edits from the editor. Uh, maybe they needed to pull some footage to make a trailer, so they would tell us all the sh- shots that they needed for the trailer, and we'd run to the negative and cut all those out. And so the process was not only arduous, but it had to be handled with such great care. Because again, there's one negative for that entire feature film. One negative of each roll of film. So let's say you tore negative. You're winding it down and it snaps. Boy, that the snap of negative. Nothing says you're fucked like the snap of negative. When your boss has to get on the phone and call the movie company and say, listen, were you planning on using frame 293775? Because we just ripped it in half and you can't use it. Now, if that was cut into the film, if that was one of the ones that the editor and the director and the producers and the studio decided to go with and liked and loved and agreed on, guess what? They now have to recut around it because you snapped the negative. Jerk off. Yeah, that's the kind of job it was. So I'd sit there up in the uh, 10th floor of the Duart building on 55th Street in Manhattan and just a couple of doors down from the original soup man, soup Nazi from Seinfeld. Um, Enjoyed many, a many a wonderful soup there. So spent time up on that 10th floor going slowly mad, pulling film, looking at numbers. What did we cut? We cut Fargo, a bunch of stuff while I was there. Uh, Basquiat, which I just saw recently about Jean-Michel Basquiat. Um, Nightfalls on Manhattan, that was an Andy Garcia film. The Funeral was an Abel Ferrara film with uh, uh, Christopher Walken. So this is one of my first film jobs out of uh, college. Actually, I was in college and then uh, just decided that, you know, I've, I've, I've got to be doing something in film, don't I? Like I had a job as an undercover security guard in supermarkets. I was chasing shoplifters through backyards as they pulled needles on me and attacked me and bled all over me. Like, that's what I was doing because it was fun. So, you know, I guess you need to do something in the industry. I decided at one point and said, hey, time to do something. And I knew someone was looking for a negative cutter through a friend. Some, a negative cutter was looking for something, someone to work with them. So I went up and I did that. But, man, it, think of the care. I don't think I put that much care into anything today, because I guess nothing has that kind of consequence today. Anything can be undone. We've gone into a digital generation, or I think our minds even go that way. That Control Z uh, function on a, on a, you know, on IBM, that undo key. I mean, man, my mind looks for that Control Z with everything. When I say some shit, I'm like, whoa, where's the Control Z? Got to take that back. But it's it's a mentality and uh, there, there's a lack of permanence to anything so I mean maybe we have to walk around like we're negative cutters a little bit maybe maybe we'd be, we'd be a better people certainly up there at N&D, film and video where I was ND Nick De Benedetto little uh, Joe Pesci type guy used to uh, come in and say all right get uh, get that film over there Funny story. Nick and some of his crew used to work in the lab on the overnights back in the day and one of their co-workers was Richard Kuklinski who went on to fame being referred to as the Iceman um, actually lived for a little while in my hometown of West New York New Jersey uh, just several blocks from me but um yeah, he was like a hitman for the for the mob, and wiped out like a hundred people or something. But he was working overnights at the lab with those guys. I remember them telling stories about Richie, Big Richie. So uh, Nick would work there. Nick would get everything would piss Nick off, and uh, they would. There was this scam going on for a while where they would call and try to sell you toner for a copy machine. So they would just try and get the copier number. I think it was probably like once the moron gave it to them, they would probably just start sending and charging you for toner. And, you know, people in big offices, they probably just pay it because, you know, the machine needs toner. So a lot of these companies probably got their accounts that way just by calling going, oh, yes, can I have the serial number of your copy machine, please? And waiting for some moron to give it to them. And then, bang, they would just start shipping you toner and charging you. So this guy would always call and do the copy machine gimmick and Nick would, I remember the first time he called me, I was like, oh, the copy machine, hold on. He's going, hang it up, hang it up, just hang up the fucking phone, hang it up. So finally, uh I go in the other room, and Barbara, the rather erudite uh, a Jamaican woman who was cutting negative with us, said, uh, they call all the time, try to get the copy number. The other day, Nicky tell him to come down and bring his mother to. And Nick would do that. He'd get on the phone and say, hey, I want you bring down your mother, I'll fuck her right here for you. So one day, incredibly, a guy shows up in the doorway and says, I'm here to fix your copy machine. Or he might have just said, I'm here for your copy machine. And Nick looks up over his glasses, which were down on his nose from his table. He says, what would you say? He said, I'm here for your copy machine. And Nick gets up from the table. He goes, yeah, you're here for the copy machine, huh? The guy's like, that's right. Turns out down the hall in the vault, their copy machine was broken. <laughs> the guy came within an inch of his life because he dropped the name Billy Hannis. He said, yeah, are you Billy Hannis? He's like, uh, no, you're looking for Billy? Billy's copy machine? Was it broken or something? He's like, yeah. He's like, oh, okay, right down the hall, right there. But it was a tense few moments. I remember Barbara had to tell me a story one time. Her husband was an x-ray technician. Working overnights at one of the hospitals. This is the shit you do. You sit around, winding down negative, copying numbers, cutting, splicing, talking shit. Barbara tells me her husband, guy comes in, say he's backside hurt. And her husband said, you put anything in there? And he swore he didn't. And Barbara turns to me she says, they do x-ray. Dildo. I used that one for a long time. Just turn to anyone and say dildo. But that was it. The wild and woolly world of negative cunning. But a lesson to be learned there. The way you handled negative. The white glove. The white uh, cotton glove that you would use to hold the negative. Wouldn't touch it with your bare hands. Even touching it, you had to wear a special glove. And then winding it down through the machine trying to gather speed because it's a gigantic reel you can't sit there all fucking day time is money but you know what if you snap it you're fucked so maybe we just have to remember treat everything we do it's a positive to treat it like a negative all right listen do you read wrestling books there's a ton of them out there right you got memoirs you got wrestlers memoirs the Business of K-Fabe, Turning Wrestlers' Secrets into a Million Dollars, written by yours truly. Okay, now this chronicles the business lessons learned from running K-Fabe Commentaries for 12 years. My first book, Kayfabe, uh, stories you're not supposed to hear from a pro wrestling production company owner. Number one bestseller in the wrestling category for almost 19 months. Okay, on Amazon. This follow-up, The Business of Kayfabe, what are the business lessons inside these stories? What is there to learn from all of this time running the company? The personalities in pro wrestling have always been some of the most unique and entertaining in the world. And for more than 10 years, Kayfabe Commentaries has been the leading production company in the genre. Now you'll go inside the company. You'll see how it's done. Me, the on-camera ringmaster, co-owner of the company, I'm going to take you inside. I'm going to take you through all the components of building the business that brought the real-life personalities behind wrestling's outrageous uh, angles uh, to the masses. From our hits to our cancellations, there were lessons to be learned in all of it. Listen, tons of great stories. It's available in paperback, on Kindle, and on audiobook. Go check out Audible or grab it on iTunes, however you listen to your audiobooks. The business of kayfabe. I'm with an old friend and uh, fellow mob aficionado, RVD. Uh, Both of us fresh off, having seen The Irishman. What did you think, Rob? I liked
1: it. I thought, you know, um, I think it's unnecessarily long because that's how Martin Martin Scorsese likes to do shit. But it's kind of convenient because, like, uh, someone would say something to Robert De Niro and then – you know, you get a you get his facial expression and then I could walk. I was watching it while I was working out so I could go do a set, you know, 10, 15 reps, come back and it's still on his face. so I didn't miss anything. <laughs> but uh, but I, I liked it, though. You know, I read the, the I loved the book and I thought they did a great job of telling the story from the book.
0: Um, I agree. I think that there were some times the, that uh, that things that would have naturally been trimmed. Uh, not even storyline-wise, but like, we don't need to see the fucking plane take off and land. You know, that, whatever it was, 25 seconds. But like, that's all shit that an editor would have trimmed. Um, yeah, it's
1: it's it, weird how he does that. I mean, and at least he lets you know right off the bat when you take that long-ass walk through the old folks' home and... Go down the hallway and take a left. Walk through the fucking kitchen and <laughs> walk, grab, grab yourself some tea. And didn't you yeah. think
0: though that that was that, that was like too deliberate? A uh, a clone of the Good Goodfellas entering the Copa scene
1: with um, it, Obviously, it was very reminiscent, but I didn't think too much because I thought, if anything, that it's kind of paying tribute, which I thought was cool. You know, because I really did expect this one to be up there with good and casino. And I, you know, maybe after I see it a few more times, uh, I heard from somebody that, somebody told me they watched it like four times. I'm like, dude, that's like four days of your life. But, um, I think that, you know, that it's not going to necessarily be held up there as high of regards as good and casino, as far as a classic, even though it has all the great, great actors in it. Um, but I think, you know, if anything, if I look at it like it's paying tribute, you know, to that, that scene of Goodfellas, I, I, I like that. I mean, it's it's Martin, so he should be able to pay tribute to his own film.
0: Okay, yeah. uh, I, You know, Ben, Goodfellas set such an unrealistic benchmark, I think. I, I don't think anything is going to come close to the masterpiece that was Goodfellas. From just the incorporation of music and, and just totally uh ensconcing us in a few different eras and then like the pace of the cutting matching you know henry's frantic states throughout the it's just such a it's such a beautiful film and i don't think casino did it and i don't think this did it either and i think maybe in that order maybe goodfellas casino irishman
1: that's that i think that's a popular um list in in that order i i tend to favor casino over goodfellas um a lot of it has to do with my own personal interest you know in the west coast and the west coast uh players you know the chicago mob but um uh but that's true but also i mean it, it's hard to even compare them because they were done in such a different time you know what i mean like when goodfellas came out that was some violent shit and now, now like the standards are so different. You know, like remember when Sopranos came out. Remember when Oz came out. We we're like, oh my god, yeah. it showed a penis. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> that, that was like groundbreaking. And so it wouldn't even be fair to try and do that same thing right now because the world has changed so much.
0: Right. Yeah. That that is true. Um, you mentioned the uh, the Chicago mob and uh, and the players there, and like the Kansas City. The, they used Kansas City also. They spotlit that a little bit in Casino, right, as kind of the the thoroughfare out to...
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, they all... Yeah, all the... I mean, all the families had a piece of, uh, you know, of, of the hotels out here in, in Vegas. And so definitely uh, Nick Savella in Kansas, he was the one that got um, the... Um, oh, what's the um trying to think of the, the guy in the uh, Teamsters Union that got the Roy... Uh, I can't think of his name right now, but anyway, you know, and Frank Billisteri in Milwaukee and the the Cleveland guys. had, right. a, Yeah. And, and New York also had uh, had, you know, interests, although they didn't cover that. But they had some interests in some other hotels out here.
0: There's a podcast by a Kansas City uh, detective or FBI guy, something that uh, I'll get you the name of it, that that focuses heavily on. Cause they dealt like firsthand with a lot of the guys and, uh, he's yeah. re- long retired. I don't know if you know the one I'm referring to, but,
1: uh, um, you know, there's a couple of, um, documentaries. One of them is called a gangland wire.
0: That's it. It's, it. That's this guy. Yeah. He's got a yeah. podcast. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I have checked it out too. Um, and it was, uh, it, it was, it was, you know, I, I'm not, I don't I really listen to a lot of podcasts. I like to have pictures and stuff, too, but I uh, decided to just listen to the audio. But 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 yeah, I did like it. There's a new one. Somebody emailed me, and I guess I got on his mailing list somehow. But I got an email, and the dude's saying, um, I need you to do me a favor. Please uh, watch my documentary. It's ninety nine. If I get 1,000 people to watch it and 25% of them write reviews, then Amazon will recommend me to other people. And my first thought was – Dude, that ain't going to work. What a ploy. And then I said, dude, I definitely want to see this, though. It's about the Savella brothers and the Spiro brothers, which is all over gangland wire. They're talking about how they're going to get rid of the Spiro boys and how how their guys are too slow to to chase it down. Anyway, I'm totally going to buy it. And now I think I'm going to do that for Headstrong, too. I'm like, hey, that sounds like a great idea. Will
0: Al Pacino ever be in anything again where he's not chewing the fucking scenery? I mean, it's just too much. He's just too much.
1: I, I mean, I, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like I can relate. Like, I, I people probably say that about me. Like, damn, we've seen RVD point his thumbs at himself for thirty years. You know, why doesn't he retire? I and mean, some people probably don't. You think? I mean, no,
0: I, I can... that's listen. I, I did a show on this a couple of weeks ago where I, I referenced Flair doing the, you know, the bump over the turnbuckle on the apron, clothesline down onto the floor. Like nobody that would never happen to anybody. And if it ever happened to you in a fight, you'd never be in a position where it happened again. But th- seeing that live got the pop and you with the RVD gets the pop. Cause you're watching ritual. You're watching kiss do uh rock and roll all night. Not the best song. Kiss fans probably don't even like it, but you just saw them do it live.
1: And right? you don't think, that, but you don't think that uh, watching, Watching Al um, Pacino.
0: Uh. Scream all the time still. We're still doing the devil's advocate. or are a flamethrower of this place. Like, it just, he was such, listen, you look at his early stuff. He was a sensitive touch. He was one yeah. of these guys that went real deep. And then I think he just made a conscious effort circa 1992 to scream in every yeah. fucking movie. He, he's screaming, you got your head all the way up the ass. And and he's screaming all the, then he played the devil. So he's screaming in that, devil's yeah. advocate. And again, he's he's like an over the top Hoffa.
1: Yeah, uh, he became Phil Spector and then Phil Spector never lost his mind. That's right. I so forgot it, about it, that
0: movie. That's right. Yeah. But uh, I mean. the technology, did it distract you watching uh, De Niro play a, uh, maybe a 45-year-old De Niro instead of a 65-year-old De Niro?
1: Um, I don't, that didn't distract me, no, but um, there, was, there was something where, uh, when, when something would happen, some kind of action, it would look almost like it was in slow motion, like there was a digital lapse. And I don't know if that was, you know, just the quality that I watched it in or if everybody saw that. But at first I thought it was like maybe a cool technique, you know, like someone's running off and you kind of show it and slow it kind of. Wow. That kind of enunciated, you know, the action. But then I realized after a while that was just probably where they colored the, the film and it, and it was like a, not a glitch, but, you know, like like a flaw. And after a while that kind of got to me after a while, because it just took away from it being a perfect high budget movie
0: performances always make the mob movies right i mean it's usually not script it's usually 100 percent performance right
1: with uh with what
0: mob movies
1: oh well i mean you know of course they got to have their guidelines so they know what to you know what they're talking about and stuff like that but yeah i mean they they seem to be especially the legends there they become their characters so much you know that uh they they have their own way of of talking their own way of of saying things you know i you yeah, know, with, with Casino, uh, Frank Collada, who um, he, he was played by Frank Vincent in the movie Casino. Not, not one of the major characters in the movie, but this is the guy that actually gave them all the info to make the movie. You know, he was Tony Spilatro's sidekick and he flipped, became a government informant. And he was on set directing uh, or not, I'm sorry, helping Martin Scorsese when he was uh, directing Casino. And then he plays a mobster in um, in the movie and um, you know he, I've heard him, I've, I've heard him. I've I've gone on his tour out here in Vegas. He actually takes you to places where he whacked people out here on tour. Like that's that's crazy. Like I had mixed feelings at first about supporting that. But then I was like, I was like, now nah, I know I'm gonna do it. Um, but you know he had he had uh, the words were important to him. Like he was saying that there's a scene at the end of the Casino where they're they're killing everybody, and there's a scene they say he's in Costa Rica, and. Uh, Turns out it's a combination of a couple scenes they put together. But one of them is where Frank Lister whacked this dude named Erwin um, Lister out here in Vegas. And uh, it, it's an interesting story because he goes to the door and uh, uh, to Erwin's door and then he shoots him in the head. And then he, the, um, the dude turns and looks at him and says, oh, what are you doing? And then he takes off running. And Frank goes into his house, chasing him and shoots him again and again. And he had hollowed the bullets out so they wouldn't make noise. And so they weren't penetrating and, and he kept shooting him and they, they fell down. He, and he took a cord from a water cooler and he's tying it around the guy's neck to strangle him and the cord broke and snapped. And he was like, what the hell? And anyway, because this happened, he made this huge mess all over the place, blood everywhere. They, they were fighting from room to room. And finally, uh, Finally, the guy that was waiting out in Frank's car to drive came in and, uh, you know, with, with a fresh gun and they shot him. But in the movie, they portray that there's at the end, they say Costa Rica. There's this uh, older guy coming out in a, in a bathrobe um, by a pool area. And yes. He's like hold, holding a stomach. Yeah. The guy that comes up behind him and says, where are you going? Jack off. And then he puts a gun on top of his head and goes, boom. That's actually Frank Collada, like recommitting the murder that he committed in real life and getting paid for it. But he said several times about how important the words were, because in the script, it said jerk-off. And he said, jerk-off? Well, we don't talk like that. We say jag-off. That's the way we say it in Chicago.
0: Chicago is jag-off. New York would be jerk-off. But he's he's right.
1: Yeah, Yeah. he was talking about the the word for the juice, you know, and the the juice there. You call it the vig in New York. Right. Those things are important, so um although it might you know a lot of it is ad lib but they're obviously being comfortable with the world they know
0: um what's the best mob movie
1: dude in i mean in my opinion everyone it's just an opinion but i Casino's my favorite goodfellas is is my second favorite and then um under that i put um let's see what's it called um mm, i'm blanking on the name right now but it's the uh the cray brothers and uh Tom Hardy plays both Cray brothers from London. Um, the word sounds like invincible, but it's not. It's a word like that, though. Amazing, but um, you don't even know what I'm talking
0: no, about. No, I don't. It's the London mob.
1: Yeah, yeah. The uh, the Cray brothers were twins, and uh, they're very famous uh, from back in the day in uh, in East London. In this movie, God, what is it called? It's it's not it doesn't it's it's something like if you look up thesaurus, I'm going to look up thesaurus, I'm going to look up like Invincible. It's one of those, it's a word like that, like a legend. It's called legend. Legend, okay. I don't know why that's just close enough to Invincible, but the word's called, uh, and it's so, it's so good. And Tom Hardy plays both brothers, and they're so different from each other. And just to see him acting with himself, um, I was just blown away with, being impressed, and the movie is so good; it's it's a, it's one of my favorites. And, and by the way, I I stick to nonfiction at least when I categorize this because that's my right my forte.
0: Um, where do you put the Pope of Greenwich Village?
1: Um, I don't even know that movie. Like I've heard of it. Isn't that Sylvester Stallone?
0: No, uh, Mickey Rourke and Eric Roberts play sure. two yeah. two. Um, uh lower Manhattan Hoods in the eighties early eighties who um doing like local jobs. They're they're low end guys and they um uh, they take a score off of like the the big guy in that area who's got the social club played by uh what uh Paulie from uh, Rocky. What's his name? Bert um Bert Young.
1: Is this a true, is it based on a true story? No, 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 okay.
0: no. But it's it's one of those that's, again, it's light on script, but um, but it's the performances. It's Mickey Rourke and Eric Roberts, who's a little weird in it, but, uh, you know, the soundtrack. One of those things where atmosphere was was uh, uh, Trump uh, script. Yeah,
1: yeah, a good movie is a good movie, you know, but for me, like, when I watch something that's nonfiction, even if it's not 100% accurate, I feel like, like I'm doing something productive because that's part of my every day is I'm, you know, I, before I go to bed at night, I'm reading from my Kindle. I'm reading mafia um, books and I watch documentaries, even though I've seen them several times. And so, so when I watch a movie, I feel like, like I know these characters and I, you know, like, dude, I get to see, I know who Russell Buffalino is, but watching Joe Pesci play him actually makes me think like I'm actually watching, you know, something go down. I'm like, wow, that's, you know, cool, Russell Buffalino and Angela Bruno sitting in the same bar, you
0: know. I don't know if I texted you the picture, but I ate at Spark Steakhouse for the first time last year. Right. And, yeah. st- and stood. I was able to, by looking at... The- you don't want to be that dick, you know what I mean? When you're standing on the <laughs> street in Manhattan, you don't want to be that <laughs> fucking asshole.
1: I got a photo of me standing underneath that awning. <laughs> you
0: know, I, not only the awning, I wanted to find the spot where he was laying and you can do it by lining up a street pole and uh and there's these kind of vertical metal lines in the building and you can kind of find the actual spot um, folks
1: he's referring to december 16 1985.
0: 1985 at 5
1: 45 p.m. um uh and and paul castellano for those who don't know
0: they, you know, they shouldn't be listening then um what those people but what what was fascinating to me was just standing in because i've read about that hit so many times the where they were positioned they were wearing the russian fur hats for, for i thought that was a bad decision i i hate to criticize john gotti but yeah. i i think that was an odd decision because it's they wanted to be able to identify each other but i mean who the hell walks around on a russian fur hat you want to be as in as discreet as possible one would think but just standing there and figuring out like how like on a busy Manhattan street but it's you know what it's right off the corner so it's not as busy as you'd think I I saw how that could definitely go down fascinating listen to 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 change gears here um since we last spoke you went through a divorce and that was
1: oh yeah I guess so it's been a while well
0: since we last filmed we may have texted or something but no
1: you're right you're right because it wasn't even final until uh I don't even know if it was last year or this year. I think it was earlier this year, like in April that it was finally final. We've been separated since 2015. Yeah. Even even before that, she took a few breaks, you know, a few months here and there and was leaving so she could build up her, her new secret life. (laughs) But
0: but Rob, as someone in the public eye, I mean, it's probably, it's the shittiest thing to go through probably anyway, but like, when fucking TMZ has like details about like how much money was split and like, is it like as aggravating as I'd imagine? Or do you just roll with it and say, this is just goes with the territory of being famous.
1: I think for me, it's more of rolling with it, but just like everything that I've ever read about myself when it comes to money, um, there's, it's full of inaccuracies. And it's so my thought is like, Oh, they're going to believe that. Like, People uh, picked up on that, newsletters picked up on it, and they're like, man, you know, she even insisted she gets the dog's ashes. I didn't want the dog's ashes, you know. I mean, it, there's a lot that people don't know, um, and then everything, of course, is taken out of context. So I look at it more like that, like, wow, you know, maybe in my autobiography I can tell people the, the real, you know, what really went down and shit. But, um, you know, it, it, was, it was a lot to go through, but now looking back at it, it was so worth it. You know, people say divorce is expensive because it's worth it. I I definitely have to say I concur from my experience. My life is so much better. And even like when I thought that things were really good, when I look back at all the red flags and all the times I was really just complacent, not happy. And I, and I think about, you know, just how what a non-match we were for so long. Um, you know, I'm just like I'm so thankful that, I did go through all of that because I'm being rewarded now.
0: Did you th- did you think that the moment you were in that hot tub with those two chicks? I saw the photo. It was tremendous.
1: <laughs> I think at every moment of every day.
0: Okay. Um, th- listen, this this CBD craze it, it is upon us in a big way. Yeah. I have embraced it, and uh, I am a believer. Um, am I, am I foolish? Is this snake oil? Am I a pussy? Cause I won't commit to the, to the, to the whole deal. Uh, as a proponent of CBD, where do I stand in RVD's world?
1: Yeah, you're definitely, uh, that doesn't make you a pussy. That's not to say that you're not one, but it might be from, you know, another, it's other another st-
0: other stuff, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We'll get into that later, right. but, um, I'm holding RVD CBD in my hand right now. And, um, you know, I just launched my own line, uh, just last week or the week before just just brand new. We don't even have the website up yet to make it available for consumers, but we're at conventions, networking with uh, other you know, big business uh, opportunities and stuff. So here's the deal. I know I described marijuana on, on your show before like, like, a, like a scholar. Um, and thing is, like, at that time when, when I was talking about it, all we knew about was THC. Like, as old as the planet is, and we knew that there's around 100 different components to the marijuana plant, but all we knew about was it gets you high, and we know it's it's the THC that gets you high. Now, just, you know, th- this much later, now finally we're looking at other components. So now we have CBD, which everyone's hearing about, and you're starting to hear about some of the others, uh, like CBG, which I take. It helps uh, to regenerate um, dead brain tissue, it's its amazing. And uh, also the CBN, which is, uh, people are talking about now. And, and just imagine, there's there's about 100, depending on who you believe, there's 90, there's 120, whatever, um, all these different um, cannabinoids that are uh, part of the plant. But it's, it's, it's amazing, we got to a part where we said, hey, we know that it's good for everybody. Um, it can help a lot of, pe- not good for everybody, but we know it can help a lot of people, a lot of different causes, people don't want to get high. Boom. Guess what? The CBD is the part of the plant that's medicinal. And if you take the THC out, you don't have to worry about getting high. So- now, do you
0: have to, as, as a producer of this now, or, or a wholesaler, I don't know what end of it you're on, are you, uh, are you responsible for like the harvesting and the removal of the THC, the industrial growing? Like, Are you at that level?
1: Uh, yes, responsible as far as like, I'm the owner of the company, but obviously I'm not, I'm not out there in the middle of the field, you know, like watering plants or anything like that. But, but I did have to check into everything for the credibility and, you know? right. um, so, so one of my partners has an ongoing company, it's called Soquel Hempco. And so because of that, they already had, you know, the labs, the scientists, they already had the fields of hemp. They already had a machine that I could like basically just like plug into and run my stuff through because as we're creating the product, they're talking about all kinds of stuff. I never even thought of like, uh, like here's what I want for the logo. Yeah. But okay. You got, we need a UPC symbol on it so we can scan it. I'm like, what? I didn't even, I wouldn't have never even thought of things like that, you know, (laughs) but, uh, but so, so the answer is, is yes, it had to be uh, credible and I had to, uh, um, I was, I was going to make a documentary of me actually going through every step of the way, um, which didn't uh, which happen But me visiting oh. the field. So that what I did do was tell them like what I wanted, for instance, the uh, pain cream, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have two products is, is all I'm starting out with, a, a tincture that you drop under your tongue and a pain cream. Uh, whenever I use somebody's CBD pain cream, to me, it feels like I'm putting hand lotion on. I don't actually feel it. And when people tell me they feel it, I'm wondering, like, what the hell are they feeling? You know, like you really feel the CBDs when you when you rub that on, whether it's an injury or muscles or joint, whatever they' they you know, when they say like, oh, yeah, I feel it. I think, man, maybe my system's just so dirty that I don't respond to anything. But but uh, but I wanted to feel it. So one thing I did, a lot of the uh, pain creams have maybe 750 milligrams of, of CBD. That's seems to be like an average. I said, fuck that. 3,000 milligrams of CBD. So I needed it super strong for me and my superhero peers. That way, uh, normal mortals will know that it'll work for them too, and they don't. Maybe they won't have to take as much. The other thing is I needed vapor in it so that I can actually feel it penetrating, and I can feel it soothing where I put on. And so I was. Uh, so you know, they would send me a sample. What do you think of this? And I'd. I'd I'd hit them up, say, uh, it's good. You're in the right direction. I need more menthol in it, you know, send another one with twice as much menthol. I want it to be like Biofreeze with CBD in it because I have enough, uh, bumps and bruises around me yeah. to have a lot of experience with pain creams and, and things. So, so because of that, I, I stand behind RVD CBD and I know that it's superior.
0: What orally, what dose do you take?
1: Yeah. So it's, um, again, it's 3000 milligrams, but, the the whole bottle is um, is is one one fluid ounce of tincture. So the so you take the the um, the beaker when you when you pull that out when you fill that up um, there's like a a tenth you get like a tenth when it's full. All right, so you do the math on it, and you say, okay, if it's three thousand in here, and it has this many, boom, boom, boom. So maybe like maybe it's like thirty grams, like each time you, you drop it under Milligram, your tongue,
0: thirty milligrams.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so what I'm doing is I'm doing that twice a day, and um, because usually the beaker doesn't fill up all the way to the top, it's really hard to get it to do that, you know. So so I'll do like one and a half of those each time that I take it, and take it in the morning, and I take it in the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I use the muscle cream every single day. So Sweet. this
0: is not on market yet, so we can't give a, an address for it or anything, right? It's
1: yeah, the website is rvdcbd.com, uh, but it's still being built right now. I mean, okay. if somebody if somebody knew, and I've only got two products so far. Like we're talking about things we're going to do, um, different products we're going to expand into. And also making different sizes of these because because it's uh, 3,000 milligram, um, it's more expensive. It's $150 for the the, uh, muscle joint relief cream, uh, the sweet extreme cream. Uh, uh, But um, a lot of people I know aren't going to be expecting to spend $150, but it's four ounces. So we'll make a two-ounce bottle and cut the price in half. Maybe we'll even do it again and make half of that for half of that because there's – um there's a lot of different outlets where different clientele or customers aren't going to be expecting to spend 150 especially yeah. if it's especially if it's in a c-store where you know people go in to buy a mountain dew they're not is
0: the or is the uh, is the uh the oral also 150
1: uh, yes okay yes it is
0: and but now so you don't have the website built but you've got you're in production so you've got stock yeah, so
1: we're Yeah, yeah. yes. I debuted it at this big convention called CBD um, IO that was here in Vegas um, last week. Maybe it was a week before. It's hard to me. I don't judge time that good. I'm crazy busy. But um, and then and then you know we had samples there, and that was like the first time that I saw the actual tincture drops in the bottle. You know, I hadn't even seen them till then. And, And now I've only got one, so I don't even have. You know, my friends are like, "Dude, hook me up with some." I don't even have. My own product. Yeah. Like we're just starting out the gate, Uh, but we have things lined up and we have a lot of uh, other people that we met at the convention that want to do other things. You know, we're talking to Sue and I, very likely I might be doing a a sports drink with CBD in it. And um, that's partnering with a different company that already has the, the machines and everything to, 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 to see that all the way through. Um, but do it, you know, with our formula and RVD on it. And, and so um, it's, you know, we call it B2B business to business. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the stage we're at right now and hope to be B2C very soon. Hopefully, hopefully next week, the website will be will be done and, and people can look at it and see what they're buying and then order it because then it'll make a great, $150 Hundred fifty dollars stocking stuffer.
0: Yeah, well, listen, I, I look forward to you being an advertiser on the show. Uh, quite honestly, and uh, oh. I'll give you the address for the for the free sample also. Um, listen, uh, this is ECW's twenty fifth anniversary year. I don't know if you knew that. Extreme okay. Championship Wrestling's twenty fifth anniversary.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, who who do you give the anniversary card to?
1: Um, Paul, right. I mean, Paul, ECW is Paul's. I, I see it as his brainchild. Like, he was the guy that created it, that hired us, that booked us, and then uh, nurtured us, guided us. And um, I think the whole I, – I mean, I will always consider, like, the whole thing his baby. So any congratulations on success of ECW definitely would go to Paul, okay. in my opinion.
0: And for and for your success there as well, you credit,
1: Paul. Uh, well, yeah, but I mean that's just more of like an individual thing. I mean it's, I mean obviously my contributions weren't just for me at the time. Everything I was doing, I felt was helping the company grow, and it was. I was watching it grow from more people to you know. Hey, we're gonna have our own action figures. Oh my God, we got our own action figures. We're gonna have our own magazine. We got our own magazine. We're gonna do pay-per-views. Oh my God, we're on pay-per-view. Like I was the whole time, it's growing in our fan base, or at least at the crowds. Uh, I'm sorry, the the live crowd fan base. We would go from 200, you know, up to like holy crap, we got like 5,000 people here. So I felt at the time like everything I was doing, you know, meant a lot for everybody. But if I look back at it now. Um, although that's true and and I helped ECW as much as any of the guys did, um, you know, we're all active in it, but I mean, if someone says congratulations to me for ECW being 25 years, um, I don't know, that's kind of hard to digest. I kind of feel like it's an accomplished, it was, it was accomplishments and at least, At least it was legit accomplishments. You know, this is the thing about the business nowadays. All the smarts think that they know everything, but they don't. And it's like, uh, it's good to still work them, but at the same time, it's almost a little annoying how sure they are. Like, for instance, um, there will never be a picture of me, no matter how sober I am, without everybody saying, oh, my God, dude, he is so big. Look at my guy. They did it at Monday Night Raw. That was the overwhelming you know, feedback was he was so baked, And, you know, the truth is, as me and Katie know, no, I wasn't, I wasn't fucking baked at all. Didn't even smoke anything. So I've hit a pen a couple times in the day. Um, you know, they Oh my God, he looks drunk. He can barely stand up. That's, that's them, um, really being way off on what they think they know that that's just an example. You know what I mean? But what I was going to get to was, it's, I feel like that with accomplishments, too. Like, they think they're so smart, and they think, no, I know is the best, and here's why. But if you congratulate... Uh, Katie, shit. Hey, baby. Okay, I got that message. Okay. <laughs> what I was going to say was that, um, you know, when somebody gives a wrestler accomplishments for beating people, I mean, did they really... Did they really I don't think
0: know, that does that does that happen? Is is anyone okay. giving props for you know a win? I think,
1: I think every fan in their mind thinks like, dude, you were the shit, man, you beat John Cena at one night stand, you know, you did this and that, and for them, they don't even think about it, about you know, that it was you know, some writer pushing a pencil that decided it. They think it's the same thing with, you, look at me funny, but I just think, think we're about- out of
0: that I think we're out of that time. I think guys like me
1: and is the exact, how you win a championship belt? It's the exact same way, is it not? How
0: do you get congr- win a championship belt. You're you're given uh, it by a writer or a booker.
1: Well, I'm saying it's the same thing as winning a match. But everybody will congratulate someone that wins. You know, they win a tag team title or they win the heavyweight champ, and they're serious about it. They're like, "Dude, congratulations!" And they're serious. They're not joking. Like,
0: well, tongue- am I? Would I be naive to say though that that's a little different because knowing what we know now about the business. If a promoter, if Vince McMahon is giving you a title, that says something about your place in that company. Maybe not now because somebody wins the same belt, you know, seven times in a year. But at one time, if you were given a heavyweight title, that meant that you were, in the eyes of that company, an elite performer to be entrusted with that, no?
1: Uh, in my opinion, um, it means something for sure. It means that they trust you in that position to be their front foot that right. they're putting foot at that moment. But I don't think that's congratulatory. Let's say let's say everyone's working their asses off. you got the best wrestlers in the world. Let's say someone comes in. I don't mean any disrespect by this, but let's say someone like Goldberg comes in, and boom, his first match, he's the heavyweight champion. Does he deserve, well? Wow, congratulations. What does that say about him? It just says that the powers to be thought they could make more money by this decision. That's all it means.
0: Right. Let's go to Twitter and get a couple of questions here. Benny Douglas would like to know if you could pick anyone to wrestle in their prime, who would it be?
1: Um, Hulk Hogan. Why? I don't know. Money. That, that name may, it, yeah, it'd be a, it'd be a main event. Um, that answer might change when you ask me all the time. Cause I don't have any like fantasy picks about any of that. But right now I'm just thinking he was the man. He's the guy that carried wrestling on his, uh, on his back when I got into it, you know, as a fan, when we all watched it growing up, he was the guy I used to often root for the heels that were going against him when I was a fan, but nonetheless, looking back at it, dude, I, you know, he deserves all the credit and, you know, I, I know I'd have a good match with him too. And, um, and, and, It wouldn't, you know, I I could work circles around somebody that doesn't have to do anything but stand there. Not not that I'm saying that that's Hulk Hogan, but truth. In fact, I was supposed to work Sid Vicious and in uh, in France, and I was looking so forward to it. um, Because of that, I was like, dude, I'm gonna have his best matches ever had, because you know, it was at the time when my my passion was more up and stuff, like 2009 ish. I was working for this Ireland company, AWR, and. Man, the the night I was supposed to work um, uh, he he canceled the match. Like he 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 didn't wanna work with me. He didn't think he was up for it. I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? You know, like maybe maybe you've seen these long ECW matches where we're killing each other and shit. We don't have to do that. I'm gonna I'm gonna make you look better than you've ever looked. It was like I I just I'm not up for it. So he had the match switched to X Pac, and then he all he did off the bat was uh Right. And X-Pac had no idea they were going to do this. But right off the bat, he clotheslined and power bombed him one, two, three. And then he went home <laughs> because he had bruised his arm, clotheslining X-Pac on the first night in. And so that's why he was saying, you know, that uh, he wasn't up for for to work. He, he didn't have it enough to work against me and, uh, and he, or the tour. But I think that he thought he's going to do this independent tour and then and then go right to the, back to WWE. Like they'll see him, and I think that's what he had in mind.
0: You know, the- he's such an interesting case. I almost had him on an episode of Breaking Fabe and he, he didn't get on the fucking plane um, as he is wont to do. Um, but I would have loved to talk to him because I I wanted to tell him that by all accounts, the time period he worked. He was like a test tube fucking superstar. Look at yeah. him. Look at the intensity yeah. in the promos. Look at the fucking body. And to be so much your own worst enemy. Yeah. Right? I mean, there was nobody that got in Sid's way more than Sid. Right? Yeah. Or, or arguably, he kept himself from being a superstar.
1: Um, I, Yeah, I still think he was a superstar, you know, but he limited himself. I think that could be said probably about a lot of us. You know what I mean? Like we can shoot, you know, maybe you could have, maybe you have the ability to go all the way to the moon, but if you don't get all the way there, it might be because, because of you, because your perspective changed along the way or, or because uh, you did something, you know, maybe, maybe you got pulled over and had marijuana in your car.
0: Right. Um, three J platinum. Says, uh, how do you feel knowing you have the greatest undefeated mania streak? Now that Taker has lost,
1: um, slightly, slightly better than indifferent.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, Jacob Walton. Where do you find Katie? Where did you find Katie?
1: Yeah, Katie was sent to me by the universe as a gift for everything I'd done up till the point when we met. She's so awesome. We met at WrestleCon in Dallas, Texas, which um, was a very interesting uh, weekend for me. I was like uh, heavily into a drinking phase um, (laughs) at that time. But uh, nonetheless, something good came out of that. So uh, I met her at the WrestleCon and she slid me her number. And then um, it turns out she was coming to California to visit her friend who lived like right at the bottom Uh, of the hill that I lived on she sent me a picture on my phone I'm like you're in my neighborhood and so um I took her to a lunch meeting and then afterwards I said hey I gotta go do this podcast if you want I can drop you off at uh or if you want to go with me that's cool too and then I can drop you off or if you're still having fun we can go out afterwards and get some dinner whatever you're the boss totally up to you and um we got in the car And she swears she was going to have me take her home. But my phone lit up. And guess what I had on my phone as a screensaver? Katie Forbes. Katie Forbes. That was the move, bro. She had sent me a picture, a really hot picture of her. And I had that on my screensaver. And when she saw that, then she said that she couldn't tell that I was even interested. Because, uh, you know, I I was so fucked up at that time um and uh anyway that was the move so make sure you got the right hose on your phone to coordinate with your dates
0: and uh, that's not bad i think that same drinking phase is the time we did one of our interviews you were fine for the interview but you began drunk texting me throughout the night that you wanted to go to the mafia museum on saint mark's place it was like fucking twelve thirty at night i'm like rob they're not open dude
1: yeah uh t- <laughs> those are the yeah. dark years <laughs> Yeah, 2015, 2016. Um, it was those; those were the heavy, the heavy years. You know, there was some leading up to it and some trailing away from it. But the divorce was like long coming, and it was something you know that I felt like, uh, you know, you, that's how it feels like. Like your life's falling apart. Like I had to do something one way or the other. And um, and then you know I've mentioned this several times, but in December of 2015, the wife left, and then all of a sudden. I'm in this big-ass, cold empty house by myself all I had was um, our mutual dog which she would drop off when I was in town and then the dog died a few days later and, the, and that's like one of the worst things I've ever been through is, is losing losing a dog and then a few weeks later my dad died oh, my god. and it was just you know and, and, and during that time I was just doing this uh, depressive hypothesizing where I was like oh my god like what if my dad dies next? Like, there's no way I can handle that. So I like, like you set yourself up psychologically to fail when you're like, Oh my God, like I'm so weak right now. I couldn't, I couldn't survive if this happened, this might happen. And then it does happen. And so, yeah, dude, I took to the bottle.
0: How'd you pull yourself out of it? Say that again. How'd you pull yourself out of it?
1: Um, well, obviously meeting, uh, meeting Katie and then our relationship, you know, blossoming what was a huge part of it um also i i got medicated you know that was one of the hardest things to do like i was in such a deep depression like my voice was weak like i hear recordings that i made back then and i couldn't even i didn't even have a full voice and it was and and now i can you know i like sharing this cuz it helps people that that are depressed when i made my movie headstrong i talk about some of this and people The feedback's been amazing people are like man i had no idea that you could relate to that and you know if you could go through all all, everything you've been through and still make it then i can too and and that's been like kind of came came uh became like one of my one of my purposes is to help people with depression dude i needed i needed to talk to a psychologist and it was so hard every time i picked the phone up i would just hang it up and just ball and the next day, I would do the same thing, and eventually, I dial the number and then hang up and just bawl. And finally, I got a hold of someone, and then she was saying she's too busy uh, to see me. And I'm like, No, no, you have to see me. You have to, you have to let let me come to your office. And and uh, anyway, through that, uh, through that, I got on some medication, which I think probably I medicated myself for many years with cannabis. But uh, something a lot of people don't know is I'm the only one in my family that wasn't medicated. My mom, my brother, my dad, my sister, like my whole life, they all um, were taking either uh, Prozac or uh, or Zoloft, uh, some form of it. And so I I always felt like when I would get down that I'd be way more down than everybody else, you know. If you look at like the Louis Spicoli um, tribute we did in ECW, like when he died, we all got in the ring. I'm bawling my head off and I seem to be like the only one doing it. You know, and I've always been like that, like at funerals, watching watching the the family as they look at the, the lost loved one, especially getting lowered into the ground or whatever. I always felt like, why am I so, so much weaker than everyone? Like, why is everyone so much stronger than me? And. I feel like, you know, the chemical balances in your brain is really everything. So uh, that being medicated from that was was a huge help in pulling me out of the depths that I was in.
0: Why do you see that as weakness as opposed to just being like super connected to your emotions more so than some other people?
1: Because it's so hard to get through. You know, I would see I would see people that are, you know, burying their Maybe it's someone burying their husband or their dad or whatever, someone that I used to wrestle with. And at the funeral, you know, they're thanking everyone for being there. And I just think, oh, my God, like, they're so strong. I could never even talk. And there's been certain things that that I couldn't talk about, you know. Like, for the longest time, if I would just talk about uh, my ex uh, getting cancer, like, I would start crying, like, even in interviews and shit. I'd be like, oh, God, I don't know if anyone noticed that. I just got choked up. And it was just like when I would think about – something, it would, um, it would, um, it would, it would, it would touch upon that emotion and I would feel so weak and helpless to it. That's why.
0: Did you, were you aware though, as a child that people in your home, you might not have been aware that they were medicated, but were you seeing like peaks and valleys in their emotions, in their treatment of you? Were you sensing anything was up
1: no not really, not really so much. um I remember when I was younger, you know, my mom and dad were having problems and um and I didn't really know that much about it. I was so young and, and then after that it just seemed like everyone got along really great, you know, and um so maybe that was after my mom got on something i I don't know i mean it didn't it really didn't seem uh it didn't seem like that I wasn't brought up in a home where. Where you know where I felt like a victim, and like we're all, you know, depressants and and, um, and and you know having a hard time functioning in society. It wasn't like that at all.
0: You know, you know what your family needed—a little CBD, bro.
1: That you know. Back here, then. I'm glad that you mentioned that because.
0: Uh, Are you under something. a couch right now?
1: <laughs> I, I'm helping. Uh, uh, I'm helping Katie Forbes. Uh, because she is
0: bench pressing
1: yeah (laughs) say hi baby
0: Hey. hi baby
1: hey um so i'm glad you brought that up sean because this is my inspiration for why i wanted to create my own cbd line is, is this right here uh so many of my friends and your friends as well have killed themselves so many so many and some of these people are people i was very close to and and i would not see that coming and see and oh my god you know they put a rope around their neck usually if it's overdosing then usually it's an accident but that's the two ways that 90 percent of wrestlers from my generation die young right it's either an overdose or suicide and so many committed suicide and you know the more i've learned about cte i've learned the pattern, you know, the concussions it leads to depression, and then ultimately it leads to suicide. And and myself, um, the my movie Headstrong, by the way, documents all of this. Uh, what what I Headstrong was su- supposed to be documenting me doing uh, a week on the road doing stand-up comedy but I showed up concussed and at first I thought well I'm not going to talk about it I'll feel fine tomorrow I didn't feel fine the next day or the next so I've had over 500 concussions I mean I've been using that number for years you can add to it now but um I had to get checked out because all of the symptoms I had always went right away usually in a few seconds it goes away I'm loopy Either I'm uh, seeing double or everything's spinning or, or the lights are flashing in my eyes. Whatever it is, there's all these different <laughs> – you look like you want to say listen. And, and, anyway, I – How I often to, does this happen? Um, not often now. But when, he, when I was in ECW, it often happened every single night. And I knew it was coming. Like when Balls Mahoney would have a chair, steel chair, whack. I knew when he hit me that I was going to be on the ground. And sometimes the sound would go out. Sometimes everything would be like slow motion. I didn't know that that was a concussion at the time. None of us knew, you know, that was like, that's newer education stuff. But I got double vision from this one match. It was a very simple, almost like an arm drag kind of roll through where the back of my head hit the mat. I got double vision and it didn't go away. And this was November 12th, 2016. And I do this comedy tour. And uh, the double vision kind of took over, not just the tour, but my whole life. Afterwards, I had to get checked out with the MRIs and the CAT scans. I had to go to vision therapy. I got Chris Nowinski talking to me about, you know, what's going on. And uh, anyway, the the movie ended up way better than it was going to be. And it helps a lot of people. And so I'm I'm really glad about that. It was like uh, um, an accidental blessing in, in that way. But... I showed, and I had four different doctors look at my uh, MRIs, I showed no signs of, of CTE, thank God. And and again, I figure, you know, maybe it's because uh, of cannabis because I've always had a level of that in my brain. And I'm reading stuff that's saying the that cannabis can help with that and with Alzheimer's. Um, one, I don't know that the CTE, CTE isn't going to come back later in life. I mean, I, who knows? But two... Um, I keep reading these things like NFL is looking at using CBDs to make a, a, a pregame uh, a supplement that people can take to protect their brains when they go out there. I don't know. Are they really going to do that? Or are they just talking about it? And then I read articles that say, no, oxygen therapy is the way stem cell therapies is the way whatever it is. I'm reading all this thing, all these different things. And I'm thinking, I want to help. I want to help find the answer. If it is CBDs and CBGs, I can get that, I can put that together. And, and, and one, I don't want to go out that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want to. And two, um, I would love to be able to help help my friends and my peers, so so I'm using everything that I've learned and talking to scientists and everyone's getting the newest uh, information and putting it together. And that's what I really wanted to make and still do and still am. That's that's the product that, that's in the works right now. I have the pain cream and the tinctures. But a neurological protector is what, is, is what we're working on. And for long term, that's, that's my real passion for it. Because if I can help with CTE, that, that, that means I can also help people with depression, people with uh, um, um, dementia, Right. Or, um,
0: well, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we're going to, we're going to learn so much more over just the next few years.
1: Um, it's all very similar. Like Alzheimer's disease, your information pathways in your brain are blocked. You know, there's protein that builds up and, and then information isn't getting through. It's very much uh CT and Alzheimer's are very, very similar. So thing is, um, you know, that could really help a, a lot of people. So in a selfish way, I want to find something that can help myself um, because I've, beat the hell out of my brain and then also you know of course i i don't want to see any of any of my other friends die and anybody i can help you know at that point would be um a, a um potential client
0: all right rob let's give that website one more time this maybe this will be maybe this will be out by when you're uh, you're a uh, direct to consumer uh, seller
1: yeah, I'm only days away from them, uh, but it's RVD CBD, so it's really easy to remember. Same thing on Instagram; you can follow RVD CBD on Instagram and uh, keep up with our progress and see what we're doing um, along the way. So,
0: and check out uh, the movie Headstrong, right? We should send yes, people uh, there.
1: Yeah, it's 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 available on DVD right now, and uh, I'm getting it put back up on Amazon. I had it on all the platforms, but the middleman called Distriber. Totally ripped me off. So uh, the movie came out in February, and I plugged it everywhere. And people were telling me, dude, I loved your movie. I watched it. I got zero cents out of that. <laughs> the the middleman um, is, is like they have like one foot in the grave. If they declare bankruptcy, then no one's going to get any money. But every independent movie maker that went through them got ripped off. And they came with a good referral because uh, people used to make money off of them. And then I don't know what happened. But uh. so anyway. Right now, I'm getting it put back on uh, Amazon, so that'll be the place All to right. see
0: and it. It's head, Headstrong. You got the TBD. You got the movie. When are we writing a book? When are we going to do your book?
1: Um, I'm, I'm working on that, um, actually. That's with who? Probably...
0: You should be working on it with me. Yeah, an author? I have six books out. My first book, Kayfabe, stories you're not supposed to hear from a pro wrestling production company owner, 19 months, number one bestseller on Amazon oh, in ooh. the wrestling category. That's like being the smartest guy in jail. But uh,
1: um, congrats, congrats. That's awesome. Did you pend it?
0: Yes. Alone.
1: Nice. Yes, yeah. I thought about doing that. I actually like to write and I figure everything has to come for me, but I went through years meeting with different uh, agents and getting their opinions and trying to figure out, do I use a ghostwriter? I found the pros and cons of everything. And that's something that's always been important to me. I do want to um, tell my story my way. And um, I have a, I'm in, um, I'm in the procedure on a path towards making that happen. But since you ask, I'm starting with a pre autobiography book, working with these guys. That's uh that's themed on a, uh, on a special subject. And, and, and so we're, we're building that up first. And then uh, definitely, definitely the autobiography. There's listen lot... to
0: the Listen to the mystery, a special subject. Well, if it's you, it's, it's cannabis, the mob masturbation. What would what, what...
1: you, I, I wouldn't, I would not say that you're wrong okay hey by the way speaking of uh speaking of you were asking about um you know mafia movies and stuff i saw a screening at the mob museum uh a few days ago of a movie called mob town it comes out december 13th so it's, it's brand new and um i'm sure you're familiar with the 1957 mob summit in appalachian,
0: appalachian yeah
1: yeah so this is this covers that you know uh, uh-huh. uh anastasia got whacked and um Costello got shot at and Vito Genovese called this big meeting even though they just had a meeting one year before in the same place and they used to meet the the commission used to meet every five years and they met in 56 everything was fine and then Vito says no no emergency meeting I gotta explain so so he called he called this and then the cops busted everybody <laughs> and uh and it was there's his guys fight.
0: running through the woods in, in upstate New yeah. York
1: yeah the guys that made the movie told me something really interesting. Uh, whether it's true or not, they said that people are still going in those woods now and finding things like money, and like wallets and watches that's stuff. That's great. But our Arquette plays Sergeant Croswell, who's the guy you know that actually saw the bus. was trying was, was the It and was trying to get everyone to believe him that something big was going on, and so uh, so I hit him up, you know, and he invited me to it because it was an invite only, and um, that's another nonfiction movie. So it may not. It's not going to be it's classic as Goodfellas because it's not as dark because it's the cop's perspective instead of the mobster's perspective. But put that one on your list to watch though. For sure. Who
0: would you want to play? Wh- which figure from history would you want to play in a film?
1: Sean um, Oliver.
0: Okay. Very good. Mob figure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> a mob figure that I'd want to play. Um, uh, Chucky Cromaldi from, from the Chicago Outfit.
0: Wow. Look at that. Very obscure. Rob, thank you very much for your time. Everyone go there. uh, RVDCBD.com. Go check out the film. Headstrong. And then you will have satisfied your weekly RVD fix.
1: Yeah. And and by the way, a lot of people know that I got a stem cell procedure at the end of September. And uh, people are wanting to know, you know, updates and stuff. The reason I didn't post a lot of updates is I went like seven weeks and felt absolutely nothing from it. A lot of people feel results right away, six or seven weeks. I'm still waiting and I didn't want to be negative, but, um, I ended up getting uh, a really good friend of ours knows all about the body, every system. He's, he's like, a a, an inch away from being a scientist himself. Um, and, and he's totally like, um, uh, doctor qualified but this guy said you need to follow up with lasers and with light and he gave me oxygen therapy and two full long days of therapy with this guy and boom all of a sudden my pain was diminished to almost nothing and so uh ever since then the last two or three weeks it's amazing that i don't have any pain i don't need to eat um pain pills like i like i normally like you know like counted on that like I got both of my shoulders are torn which are new injuries my back from my neck to my tailbone is all full of compression and bone spurs and arthritis and my and uh anyway um they also put uh stem cells in my spinal fluid to go up to my brain 221 million stem cells I got put into my body both wrists both of my wrists are broke and, um, and, and I'm just used to really dealing with a lot of pain every day, which is another excuse, you know, to, to hit the bottle a lot of times. When it gets overwhelming, I just want to drink. But um, since I got the stem cells and a few weeks leading up to it, uh, I have to remain clean in order for that to work. So that means no alcohol, no sugar, no caffeine, no smoke. So I, I do my best. I might get a little smoke here and there, but edibles or spray is fine. C- uh, CBDs are great. For stem cells, they help proliferate because um, they both look for anti uh, for inflammation, you know, to as anti-inflammatories do. Uh, but the smoke itself compromises the cell structure because they're fragile. But now, all of a sudden, I'm feeling good in a way that makes me feel way different. People haven't seen me wrestle in a few years uh, feeling good because I know for a fact that I was hurt every single day for the last I don't know how many years but I'm actually kind of looking forward to seeing how different it'll be uh when I go up to the next impact tapings which will be in January but I wrestled in Puerto Rico a few days ago it was like holy crap like I what a big difference when I'm not crying inside because of uh, bruised ribs and my I can't lift my arm and shoulder and usually I'm trying to fake it because it's not you know, it's it, the crowd wants to see you. You know, they got their image of you. You're a superhero. They bought tickets two months ago to see their favorite superhero. So that's that's part of being the whole and show. Is I feel obligated to deliver, and you know, otherwise, what I, I can't grab the mic first. Oh, so just so you know, my my knee is killing me. I can't lift my. You can't do that. You know.
0: Love that RVD. RVD CBD. Easy to remember. All right, let's go to Twitter. Promised you some Twitter action today. Liquid on Twitter. Did you ever think during a kayfabe commentary shoot, Jesus, that's it. I can't do this anymore. And if so, with whom were you working at the time? You know what? Sometimes it had to do with the talent. More than likely, it had to do with the schedule. There were absolutely some marathon shoots that I, I did not know how I got through. There were times there were weekends where over like two days I'd have six or seven shoots and nobody likes to schedule stuff that way. But, you know, block booking them like that worked for a lot of reasons. Number one, we often had access because the the way people were in town and, you know, just the, the times people's schedules. We just kind of had to do it that way a lot of times. I didn't want to lose the opportunity to grab someone, so you know, usually much to Anthony's chagrin, I'd say, hey, listen, I added a, a sixth shoot. And it just became an issue of how the fuck are we going to schedule this? And so then there were some days where I I would start shooting. And listen, if I'm talking to three people, okay, if I'm doing three shoots, forget about directing them. Forget about getting the room turned around. For three different series. We're gonna do a we're gonna do a super card into a guest booker into a timeline. So forget about all the lighting changes and, and set changes and you know, super card had banners hung and all that stuff. Forget about all that stuff. I gotta host it. I literally have got to talk to someone, to people. For I don't know, six hours, maybe in the unedited, you know, in the raw footage sense, eight hours, nine hours. Actually, when you think of it, three and three, let's say we were going two and a half hours each time, you know, seven and a half hours. I got to look engaged on my seventh hour. As I talk about, you know, Alberto won the WWE title for the 14th time that night. I have to get up as much enthusiasm. So as you watch some of that shit, realize that I'm on my seventh and eighth hour in some of them. And there's times I didn't eat. For whatever reason, the schedule got so that there was like no time for food. Like talent was down and I was like, fuck, all right, we just got to plow through. The crew, they could take shifts. They could run out, set up the set, run out. and But I mean, Anthony was on camera and I was in in front of it. So once we were set, unless there was like a complex sound setup where we need a more than two mics and we had to use a, uh, an independent mixer. We were just, me and Anthony would just roll once the cameras got going, you know, the support crew could grab food, but there were times I was fucking dying and it's, it's 11 at night. I'm about to get rolling on a subject. I have no fucking wood for at all. And, um, and I do, I just, I don't want to do it. And, Something just kicks in The camera goes on And you just kind of go into a different zone You're not aware You're forcing yourself, I guess To go into that place And you're not thinking about food or, or anything, really Just just the next question about How they hid Hornswoggle under the ring Brandon Gabbard Ever have any words or issues with RF video? I haven't Um Rob and our working relationship was always limited to scheduling. Sometimes we had the same talent. So we were always good with getting on the phone and saying, listen, I know you're shooting with so-and-so, so so are we. Um, Could you just release yours, you know, three or four months after ours so they don't step on each other and, you know, we'll both get hurt with that, making people have to choose our Bill Eady video or his. So... You know, we just would do that kind of thing and arrange release dates. And then he was also a vendor of our merchandise, so he sold a lot of our stuff. So we made a lot of money for him, and he us. Um, so no, never any issues. He was easy to work with. Salvatore Martone, do you think Jackson Pollock really thought any of that shit was art, or was he pulling a rib on us? There's some Andy Kaufman shit right there. You know, how many guys though, or gals, once once they become a celebrated artist actually it doesn't even have to be that. Once you become prolific, once they're putting enough stuff out, how much of it is them just kind of taking a dump on the canvas every once in a while, and, and thinking that they shit ice cream? You know, it, it's that's got to happen. Got to happen. Thinking people you'll just people will just love anything that there's a brilliance in your fingertips, and whatever it brings forth will be seen as such. Brilliant, brilliant. So I don't know. I, I that shit probably goes on all the time. One movie, one rant. Best story a talent told you off air, but wouldn't go on air with it. It's all, just a lot of times, what would happen is like, uh, so, I, we always asked contemporary talent if Seamus was a dick, and I think to a person, they all went like, "Nah, you know, he's all right." you know, well, well, you know, sometimes depends, you know, the him and all, but ultimately you'd be like, no, no, not a dick, not a dick, then, like, cameras would go off and they'd be like, yo, Seamus, such a fucking dick, and so that, that element happens every once in a while, I'm pulling the Seamus example, because that's the one that comes to mind, Um, nobody really kayfabed anything with me, there was a, there was, there was a time, Raven was on this show a few weeks ago, and uh, we talked about this when we were doing the Ravens wrestler rescue show, he'd had a heart attack and he told me and no one else in the business. And we were working together on the series. So I had to know obviously that there were going to be restrictions on what could be happening. So uh, he lets me know. And I said, well, you know, you don't want me to tell you what I won't tell you." He was afraid it would maybe impact bookings and stuff like that. But, so I I kept that and then you know I'd had him on Breaking kayfabe right after that and I thought he might drop it then. So I gave him the opportunity and I said how are you doing? How's your health? And he talked about the diabetes and stuff. So I didn't go down that road with him. I respected that just because it could have potentially affected work. If people thought he was sick, maybe they wouldn't have hired him. So I have very few rules about what I'll talk about. That you know that's one of them if keeping a wrestler from making money How the hell could I do that in good faith and live with myself? Jim Cornette called one time when he'd had it with working with other people. He was like, can we work out some kind of deal where, you know, you you pay me whatever it's worth it, and I'm exclusive to you only for fucking video? Because this fucking guy, he had a problem with someone, I think High Spots and some documentary, and it was some big kerfluffle. and um, he wanted to be exclusive to KC. And I said, Jim, I said, that's flattering and wonderful and maybe lucrative, but... How can I tell you if someone calls not to go make money? And then, and he's like, well, you know, there's times you could, maybe we could break the deal. And I said, well, then what's the deal? (laughs) You know, what's the exclusivity if we're not exclusive? So, you know, I, I didn't do that. The other thing is people's families. I listen, you make the deal, you're in the public eye, you come on shoot interviews and you talk about everything. You know, it's not your wife's deal, it's not your kid's deal. So, there were times where I wouldn't go down that road, or if it went down that road and it was ugly, I just you couldn't use it. See, I have a heart. Let it be known. Like when Francine was done with me, she goes, Yeah, that was it. You're not scary. I'm trying to get Franny on here too for you soon. We have more to talk about for God's sakes. You guys love that breaking kayfabe. Listen, here we are. Get another one in the books patreon become a patron of this show become a producer of this show you don't want to don't fucking do it get it you want to do it patreon.com slash kfa podcast until next time folks this has been a production of sean oliver media music by the great kevin McLeod, licensed for creative common attributions license and we'll see you next time